Colossians 3 kind of as a uh, kind of a groundwork for this series that we're going through about people are worth it. And uh, sometimes we'll hit those verses. Sometimes we'll kind of go bounce off of those. But today we're going to go straight through it. And it says, we're going to go Colossians 3.12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. Lord, we thank you so much for this uh, day that we have here to meet. Lord, we thank you for this passage, Lord, this passage of understanding what we are to do when we put on the new self, Father. How does that look? And how do we, how do we uh, look towards other people? How do we treat other people? You know, you told us in John 13 in the call to worship this morning that the love that we have towards others shows other people how we are disciples of you and how we are mimicking your son's love here on earth. Lord, I pray right now that you empty me of myself. You fill me with your Holy Spirit to deliver a message, not from me, but from you this morning. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. I kind of gave Kevin a little bit of a warning here. And uh, so I'm going to give everybody else a warning. My analogy today may offend people, but I mean nothing by it, what I say. And why I mean that, I'm sure tons of thoughts are going through you guys' mind right now. What is he about to say? But here's, here's my analogy this morning. I, most of the time I do my analogy before. I kind of do my introduction, and then I do. But this time I couldn't think of anything, and uh, I had everything done. And then yesterday I was sitting in here kind of waiting before I was going to do the marriage, and it just hit me. What paints the perfect picture of how we look at others and how God looks at others? Well, here it is. I have always had this thing, and I've been pretty vocal with uh, my fiancé about it, but once again, no offense to anybody in here. I don't find newborn babies cute at all. I'm sorry if that offends you, but I don't. I don't. And the reason why is because I think every newborn baby looks exactly the same. I know, I know. No, they don't. No, they don't. Yes, they do. But, and the only reason I can say that, and you can ask my mother and father, I was probably the ugliest newborn baby ever to come on the face of the earth. My head was about this long, and yes, I'm sure mom and dad were like, yeah, this is what we waited for for a long time. Yeah, we're so excited. But the reason I think that is because when I look at that child, I, I, I look at, I don't know, I'm not going to go into detail, but I, I don't see what other people see. You know, it kind of annoys me when people go, oh, they have mom's eyes, or they have, they have dad's nose, or they have great grandma's facial structure. But you don't know that. You don't know that at all. And I don't see that. So when I look at a newborn baby, I, I, I don't see the beauty in, a, in, in it. But then what happens is when I'm in the hospital room going to visit some people's newborn babies, whenever the parent, the new parent is holding that baby, when they're sitting there looking at it, holy cow, do then do I see the worth. Because that, that parent looks upon that child and their whole life has changed. That child is now a part of them. They have, they have made new life. And they look at that child, and they love that child more than anything that they've ever loved on earth. So while I don't see the worth that a parent may see in a newborn baby, completely paints a perfect picture of how we look at other people 
and how God looks at other people. Because when we as humans look at people, we see height, we see weight, we see attractiveness, we see uh, personality, we see tendencies, we see all these different things. And a lot of times, a lot of times, and let's be honest with ourselves, we don't always like what we see. We don't like how that person acts. We may not think that person's cute. We may not think that that person's ugly. We may think they're cute. But it's all about perception to us. Everything is so visible from the outside. And what happens is we don't see the worth in other people that God sees in other people. Because when I look at somebody, I may see, holy cow, they are such a jerk. I don't know how anybody could like them. But God may look down upon that person and see, that's my creation. I love that person. And my goal today is hopefully that we can start to look at other people the way that God looks at them today. Hopefully we can put on our God glasses, as it's been said many times, that we can put on our God glasses and see other people the way that God sees them. And hopefully whenever we get to that point, we can start to exhibit these characteristics that are going to be brought up today. So once again, I apologize. I think all your babies are cute. All right. I guess I could say that because I don't think any of them are, but it's fine. But I told Kevin and Amanda, I said, they have the newest born children in here today, so I didn't want to offend them, but I'm sure you guys have very cute kids. Okay. Now, moving on. If they took after mom. Oh, okay. I probably should have done that. All right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pouring it on because Kevin's doing my wedding in two weeks, and he said he's going to pour it on at my wedding, so I, I have to do it now. All right, anyways, back to what we came here today. The stand-up is done. Um, Compassionate hearts. We're talking about compassion. And what if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And this is a very familiar story that many of us have read before. And it's about when Jesus was about to go and feed the 5,000. And they go there. And this is kind of before, as they're coming up upon the island. And I've preached over this before, and we've read this before. But Mark chapter 6, verse 34. I want us to really look, and we're going to break down this particular verse here today. It says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were sheep without a shepherd, And he began to teach them many things. Now, my thing is, I want to understand, because the word that bounces up to me here is compassion. Because we're talking about here in chapter, uh, in Colossians 3, verse 12, it talks about compassionate hearts. So what are we talking about here? Well, I looked up in, in the Greek what that compassion meant, and it meant the same one as this. And this compassion was splagensomai. You can look that up later. But it means to be moved, and this sounds weird, but this is what they described. And I, 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 first I read it and I thought, this is kind of weird, but then I kind of understood it. It says, this compassion that they're talking about here means to be moved to one's bowels. To be moved with a compassion. Moved to one's bowels. So my digestive system should have something to do with the compassion that I have for other people. And then you thought, and then I, so I was like, that makes no sense to me. So I looked up what they meant. It was back then when they talked about the bows, they meant for the bows, they were thought to be the seat of love and pity. The bows were meant to be the seat of love and pity. So then I started thinking a little bit, okay, now it's starting to make sense to me. Because whenever I come into a situation where I am deeply compassionate for someone, maybe they're hurting, maybe they're going through a hard time, and, and I have deep compassion for us, and I think all of us can admit this today, 
we've kind of felt this sickness in our stomach, haven't we? It's like, man, this, it, it hurts me so bad, it, it, it makes me sick. And I think that's where Jesus was coming from here because he saw these people and he had compassion for them. He was, he, it, so much compassion. It wasn't just like, aw, those poor people. No, 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 no. This was, holy cow, man, I feel for these people. All the way down into my gut, I feel for these people. And now, why was he concerned? He goes on to say about this here. And this, this really goes to where our compassion needs to come from. Because here it goes. It says, notice what Christ's main concern was here. Okay? He says, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were sheep without a shepherd. See, the thing was, is he wasn't moved by their lack of food, shelter, uh, water, but he was moved by their state of life. He was moved by their state of life. That's, what, that's the coolest thing that comes to me in this whole verse right here is Jesus looked upon these people as, I mean, they were probably poor. They were out on an island, a town. I mean, they were, they were probably not very wealthy people and they didn't have food and they had to feed them. And, but he didn't care about any of that. The reason why he had compassion is because he saw people that were lost. These people did not have somebody to shepherd them, to walk with them, to teach them exactly what they needed to hear. And then he goes on to say, and he began to teach them many things. You know, the cool thing is, is he didn't feed them or clothe them first. What did he do? He doesn't say he fed them, but no, no, no. He taught them. He immediately began to teach them many things. See, that shows me that Christ understood what the most important thing in their life was. You know, it's like when, we, when I was in school and college, we talked about the hierarchy of needs. And, you know, in school, you can't teach a kid math if they're coming to school hungry and tired. You know, we have to understand that we have to conquer these first two things here, where these children are being fed, these children are getting rest, and then we can tackle math. If you try to tackle math before you feed and uh, rest with these kids, they're not going to get a thing. And it's just like here, it's like Christ is looking at this as like the hierarchy of need. These guys have to have the gospel in their lives before we can even go anywhere else with these guys. So that's what he does. He starts to begin where he's teaching. Now, my question is, is where is our compassion for people at? I hear people all the time feel bad for people, and it's not bad. Don't get me wrong. Having compassion for people that are in physical need is not bad. But how many of us have compassion for people that are struggling with material or physical needs compared to spiritual needs? Do we look at people and look at them and say, man, they're lost. They're lost. They need a savior. Do we hurt for the people who have never heard the gospel? See, that's a question I think really comes to my heart whenever I think about compassion because whenever he's talking about here, hurting to the point of your bowels, understanding, when, when you think about the countries and the villages and everybody else that has never heard the gospel, does that hurt you? Or is the first thing that we want to do is, and, and this is no offense, but this is missions all across the United States, but mission organizations, do we go down there? I've been on mission trips before where we go down there and we build houses, we give them clothes, we give them toys, we give them all this, all this junk stuff, 
Is Chris in here? Stuff. Okay? We give them all this stuff. But what's our real reason for going down there? Is it to give them a house? Or is a house just a supplemental tool for what we really came for? Because my thing is, when we go down there and we see the way these people live, we start to feel sorry for them. And I've said many times on these mission trips that whenever we go down there, we start to feel sorry for these people because they don't have food. I mean, they don't have cable TV. They don't have Mountain Dew. They don't have any of this stuff. And yet they're, they're, they're happy as can be. Because these people have something that what we lose in America a lot of times. They have the joy of the Lord. So when we go down there, sometimes I'm thinking, do we really feel sorry for these people? Or do these people really feel sorry for us? That it takes all this stuff to make us happy. See, my thing is, is we need to understand that whenever we want to help somebody out, I'm not saying that building them a house and giving them food and and clothes and all that stuff's bad. I mean, holy cow, you need that stuff. But is that supplemental to what our main goal is? What is your compassion behind missions? What is your compassion behind helping other people? But see, where does our compassion come from? Well, our compassion comes from compassion that Christ showed towards us. See, imagine Christ looking down upon the earth and how far they had come from the truth that he moved him in such a way that he would ultimately lay his life down for us that we would experience eternal life. Think about that. The compassion that Christ had when he looked down upon us and thought, oh man, these guys have strayed so far from where I wanted them to be. Man, do you think Christ sits up there and, you know, I'm just sitting here. Do you think Christ sits up there and goes, my goodness, they have advanced in technology like crazy. These people are building ridiculous amounts of buildings. They're make, this dude over here is making so much money. These guys are great. I don't need to help these guys. Look how great they're doing down there. No, Christ looks at our hearts and he says, man, these guys, these guys are disobeying me often. These guys have strayed so far towards materialism that they're not even striving towards me anymore. And it gets him to the point of his bowels are moving. And what he does is he says, I'm going to show compassion for these guys. And I'm going to die for them so that they can experience exactly what their heart is striving for. So how do we mimic this same compassion for others? Well, my thing is, is do we look to the lost with compassionate hearts? Are you doing that? Do you look constantly for people that are lost? Or do you just assume that everybody's saved? I know one guy that anytime I go out to eat with him, he's constantly asking people, you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Hey, where do you go to church at? You know, you think that would get annoying, but holy cow, this guy is, he has a compassion for people's hearts. Do we truly hurt for those that are hurting? You know, just looking at our church body, when people are going through hard times, do we really hurt for them? Are we really there for them? Or do we do the the cop out, we'll pray for you, and then we forget to pray for them? Are we really there for our brothers and sisters during hurting times? And the last one, are we actively searching to fulfill people's need of the gospel? Are we actively searching you know, sometimes I think that we think that we're just going to sit, we're just going to sit down, 
uh, kick our feet up and, all right, God, bring me the people. Bring me the people. I'll tell them. I'll tell them about it. Yeah, I'm waiting right here. And then when the opportunity comes, we think, okay, that's my time. Or are we actively going out and trying to spread the gospel? That's, that's a sign of a compassionate heart because we have a heart hurting for the lost. Compassionate hearts. Then we go to kindness. The next point they talk about in Colossians is kindness. Go to, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Another very familiar verse, but I mean, it hits home exactly where we need to be. And this is a verse that some of us really don't like to hear. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. It says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And the thing I love about this particular verse is notice how Christ starts off this particular passage in the Bible. This is how he starts it off. First off, in my Bible, it's titled, what's it titled in you guys' Bible? Love your enemies? Here's what I would do. Love your enemies? No thanks. But no, he wants you to. He starts off with this. He says, but love your enemies. It's something that we're not used to doing. See, Christ goes on to say, why would I tell you to love those who love you? See, that's, that's the thing that just, why would Christ, what if Christ, what if Christ titled this, love your family, love your friends, love the people that love you. Yeah, I can do that. That's simple. That's simple. But Christ doesn't tell us to love those who love us. He says, love your enemies. See, he's going a step further with this kindness thing. Don't just be kind to the people that are kind to you, but be kind to the people that maybe spit on you, that maybe trample you, that maybe disrespect you, that maybe call you names, that maybe completely, utterly hate you. Be kind to those people. See, that's easy. It's easy to love the people that love us. Because guess what? Even the sinners, us as sinners can do that. Us as sinners can love people that love us. But see, Christ commands the kindness to go one step further and love those who hate us. Right now, just, and I, 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 my thing is, whenever we, whenever we hear something a lot of times, the way our mind works is we ultimately think of something. Everybody thinks of something when you hear something. I mean, I could say the word blue, and somebody probably thought of something that was blue. Am I correct? So my thing is, when I say the word enemy, who comes to your mind? Who comes to your mind? I mean, just clear your head. When I say the word enemy, who do you think of? Do you love that person? Are you actively showing kindness to them in every way that you possibly can? Then you goes farther down and it goes another step further with kindness. It says, lend and expect nothing in return. So basically what we're going through here is we're going through motives. Lending things out is a very nice thing to do. You have nice things, I'm going to let people use those nice things. You lend your time, I'm going to let people lend, I'm going to lend people some of my time. But the thing is, is what is your motive behind doing that? What is your motive behind doing that? Some of us have a, developed a sense of fake kindness. 
Fake kindness. And this fake kindness, it means, yes, I'm going to let these people do that. But then when you do that, you expect something in return. They may let you borrow something. You may just be looking for a simple thank you. I can remember a time I was in Destin, Florida, and I was at a restaurant, and I remember that somebody was holding the door for me, and they told me that our table was ready, so I was running out to tell everybody else, that, hey, we can come in, our table's ready. And as soon as I run through the door to go get everybody, the lady that was holding the door, she goes, you're welcome. I wish I could say that I turned around and was very nice to her. But I just stopped and I went, just walked on. But see, in that moment, and I'm not judging this lady, you're not, but in that moment, she's holding the door, trying to do something nice, but she was expecting something in return. See, and that's where we come to our fake kindness. See, I do things all the time that when I do these things, I expect to get something in return. It's just, how we're, it's just how we're made. You know, hey, I scratch your back, you scratch my back, everything good? You know, that's just kind of how we do things. But where does that put our motives in doing the things that Christ has called us to do? In showing kindness, are we really doing anything when we have the wrong motives? No, because what it says is if you do anything without love, it sounds like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal to God. You're completely not doing anything. You're wasting your time. You're treading water. You're just sitting there, not doing anything. You're not moving forward. Because God looks at our motives. See, it's when we try to exhibit kindness and we expect something in return, really what it is is selfishness. I will do this. I will do this. But I fully expect something back. Selfish. But see, once again, and Christ's kindness is accounted for in this particular passage, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know, Christ never looked at the actions of others as the basis of how kind he must be towards them. Do you understand that? I mean, look at some of the disciples that he was calling. I mean, those guys were, they, they weren't always the best people. You know, he, he hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes. He would talk to these people. And people looked upon him and thought, what is he doing these are bad people. They do terrible things to us. But Christ doesn't put a limit on what, how, who he can be kind to and who he can't. But we do as humans. See, Christ saw God's creation in all of them. He looked upon people with the eyes of God. And it showed, and that's how he showed kindness and love, and that's how he brought love out of others. Do we understand that? When Christ would show love to other people that other people never showed love to, those people responded in love. And those people were changed. He showed them love, so in return from that, they showed love to others. It's, it's that simple. See, love is a contagious thing. Kindness is a contagious thing. If you're kind to others, man, it, it, it goes a long way. You know, I've, like I said, I think I've said it up here before, but I've maybe said to other people, I've never experienced the somebody pays for this person's meal behind them in the drive-thru and that person pays for that meal and that person pays for that meal and that person pays for that meal and it goes all the way down. You guys ever seen that before or heard of that? See, I think that's what it is. It's an exchange of kindness. When somebody is kind, it is contagious and people want to be kind in return. But then it says, if you do these, you will be sons of the Most High. See, notice it says, you will be, 
and not you will become. See, referring back to last week, we must understand that in the moment we become sons and daughters of God and we gain that worth, that is the moment that we will be sons of the Most High. See, what what I'm trying to point out here is we don't become sons because we do all these kind things, but we do good things in order to demonstrate that we are His. So it's going back to the call to worship that we talked about a while ago in John uh, 13, 34, and 35. It says, let us show love to others so they may know that we are disciples of you. See, in kindness, it acts as if we are showing that we are God's. In the kind acts that we do. It's not, I'm going to do kind acts so I can become a son of the Most High. No, 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 no. You are doing nice acts because you will be sons of the Most High. See, that's how we show that Christ lives in us when we exhibit these particular characteristics. Now we go to humility. If you got your Bibles again, turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 3 to 6. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 6. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, that verse right there, that that hit me. And what it hit me with, it hit me with a basketball analogy. All right, so all the basketball fans in here, here's your basketball analogy for today. See, in basketball, we have a term used for people that are very selfish players. And we say, they're going to get theirs. He's going to get his. And what that means is, They're going to go out there on the floor that night, and this guy may finish the game with 40 points on 12 of 86 shooting, but he's going to get his. The team may lose by 30, but he's going to get his. And see, what happens if people like that is those players, there's, there's a trend that I notice with these kind of players in basketball. And here's some of the things I notice. One, they don't win much. Teams that have guys that are going to go get theirs, they don't win much. Two, teammates don't like to play with them. And three, they never get any better. They never get any better. Now, Josh, what does this mean? I'm trying to figure out what you mean. Well, there are people in life that have this very same personality. There are people here today that have that personality. And the only reason I say that is because I'm one of them at times. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get mine. See, what happens is whenever you're, whenever you're a person that is completely out for his own selfish gain, when you're out for your own personal success, your own personal gratification, whenever you're all about yourself, what happens? Well, I'm going to tell you what. You don't win. You don't win. Okay, people don't like to be around you, and you never get any better. You never get any better. And see, the thing is, is what happens is we, we, we look out for who? Me, myself, and I. 
But this verse tells us that we are to look not only to our own interests, but look to the interest of others. You know, going back to that basketball terminology, okay, going back to that basketball terminology, and I, yeah, I've, I'm bringing his name up because they won the other night, so I can. People want to play with LeBron James because he is a pass-first type of player. He's going to make everybody around him better, and then when they do that, that's why they want to go play with him. But I'm, I'm talking to the basic sports fans right now. Some of you other guys are like, I don't even know who this guy is, but yeah, Josh, I agree. Nobody wants to play with a guy named Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook loves to shoot the basketball, and he rarely passes, and it's a mess. But people want to be around people that make them better. See, if, if me as a person, if I was always looking to improve Josh, and I was never looking around to try to help either one of you guys out, never looking to your interests, how could I help you advance in your walk with Christ? I couldn't. I couldn't. So I have to look to the interest of others. See, it says three aspects that we can see humility either present or absent in our lives. Okay, there's three, three different uh, aspects. First is our relationships. And I'm going I'm to ask you some questions. So I really want you to listen here because this is going to be Josh's humility test in your life. Okay, so ask yourself these questions. And depending on how you answer these questions shows where you are in your humility level. So with relationships, okay, that could be a boy or girl, that could be with your family, your friends, whatever. Are you a listener or are you a talker? Are you a listener or are you a talker? Are you fully engaged listening to what other people are saying to you, telling you about their problems, or are you always trying to think about the next thing that you're going to say? Do you have deep concerns about the people in your life? Do you con- are you concerned about the well-being of people that are in your life? Are you, okay, I'm fine, I'm not sick, so everything's good. I feel for them, but I'm, I'm not sick, so I'm fine. Or do we really hurt for people that are around us that may be battling a sickness or going through a tar- hard time? Do people take care of you or do you take care of them? Are you one that's always having to be taken care of, or are you someone that's always looking to take care of others? See, putting our interests, looking to other people's interests. With our time, is your schedule completely revolved around you and your interests? Is your schedule revolved around you and what you want to do? Are you looking at other people and what they want to do? Do you make times to do things with others that Maybe you don't want to do. Do you take time to do things because somebody else likes it? You know, I, example, I can't stand going to country concerts. Can't stand them. Don't like them. Don't, can't stand country concerts. My fiance loves country music. She loves going to country concerts. So what do I do? I strap on my happy face and I don't put boots on. Don't think that. And I go to the country concert. Okay, that's part of being interested in what other people are interested in. Do you struggle? This is a big one because I see this so many times. And, I, and I'm not picking on people here. I'm picking this on us as a community because I see this so many times. Do you struggle to commit because you think something better may come up? Do you struggle to commit to something that somebody asks you about because 
if I say yes to this, and maybe I want to do this later. I've been there. We got asked to work a walk to Emmaus one time, and I knew that it was on a weekend, and that may be a time for a softball tournament. So I was like, uh, no. And then, and then, you know what? I, there was no softball tournament, so I sat at home that weekend. So it was great. But do we struggle to commit to things because we think we may have something better that comes up? And the last aspect is your prayer life. You know, I heard a quote once that said this, and if you have a pen and paper, write this down because this will completely, this has completely changed the way I pray. Here's the quote. It says, if all your prayers would be answered today, would anyone's life change besides yours? If your all your prayers were answered today, would anybody's life change besides yours? You know, and the reason I thought about that is because a lot of times in my prayer life, I'm thinking, all right, God, hey, I'm struggling with this, you know, be with me here. And Lord, I'm struggling with dealing with this person. So can you help me in this situation? And Lord, I'm not feeling very good. Can you bless me here? And what happens is I, for, I, I totally tune out everybody else's prayer concerns. Here's, my, here's, here's a practical way to change your humility in your prayer life. Every Sunday, we do praise and prayer concerns. Are you writing down the things that people say? And going and praying for those things the rest of the week. You know, it, it's a change in prayer life. Looking at other people, lifting them up in prayer. Because ultimately, that's what we're supposed to do. And we'll get to that in a couple sermons about carrying each other's burdens and lifting each other up. But... Are we changing, would other people's lives change if our prayers were answered? (sighs) Are you asking others around how you can pray for them? Are you asking them to pray for them? You know, that's a simple thing to do. Hey, can I pray for you? The cutest little thing happened this week. We were at Bible school, and we were talking about, it was the gospel message. We were talking about God's love. And I said, if anybody wants prayer, if anybody wants prayer, come up to me afterwards, and I will pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray, pray that God enters your heart. I'll, I'll pray for whatever you need me to pray for. I'll pray for you. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, we've got, what, three, three-year-olds to eighth grade. So I'm thinking, nobody's going to come up here. So we get done, and I'm sitting there taking my mic off, and all of a sudden I feel a little tug on the back of my shirt, and I turn around, and there's a little first-grade girl and her sister, and they say, can you pray for us? Immediately, I, I, I just I started getting teary-eyed. I'm like, oh my goodness, yes. So I, I sat down like this, and one girl sat right here on my knee, and the other girl sat right here, and we prayed. We prayed. And then what happened is, as soon as those girls left, another little girl that's in kindergarten came up to me and said, hey, can you pray for me? And I don't know how that affected them. I don't know what that did. But my thing is, they were seeking prayer. And all I had to do was throw the invitation out there. All I had to do was say, if you want prayer, come forward. I'll pray for you. And they came. See, that's the thing. Some people, people walk around all the time. I know a guy up north, he said they go on these prayer walks. And he said, you know how many times they go up, all they do is go up to people and say, hey, can I pray for you? You know how many times they've been turned down? I mean, they have done thousands of these prayer walks. You know how many times they've been turned down? Once. People want to be prayed for. What an opening that would be. So are we so concerned with ourselves 
in our prayer lives that we're not looking to pray for other people. Christ's example in this humility. It says in verse, in verse five, it says, which is yours in Christ, which is awesome because it's talking about have this mind and it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, which means we have a mind in Christ Jesus because he's in our hearts. He is, if he is truly the king of your life, he's running your life, he's operating your life. You're, you're using these gifts that he's given you. You're working in those. And then it says this. It says, he was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, Christ didn't look at himself to get special privileges or tension because of him being in the form of God. This guy is God. He's the greatest person to ever step foot on this earth, and he didn't want any special privileges. He didn't want any special attention at all. All he wanted was to bring glory to God. But it says he did not find it a thing to be grasped. See, he, he did not do anything for his own selfish gain when he came down to earth, but instead he was here to serve. He was here to serve. He was not here to be held up on a pedestal and be worshiped right here on earth. It wasn't the purpose of Christ coming down on earth. If God wanted to be wanted people to see that this, that this guy was the Messiah, holy cow, God could have easily put him on the throne And had people come and worship him and be served. But that's not the God that we serve. This God showed complete humility that he came down from earth to serve. He came to serve. Imagine that. The God, our creator, who is so powerful, came to serve us. Wow. Wow. Do we have the same mindset that Christ had when he entered the world? Do we have the same mindset that we would look to other people's interests, even to the point of death? And the last one I'm going to talk about today is patience. And I wrote down here, it says patience and having patience with other people. All right. If I asked right now, how how well is your patience with other people? You probably scale on the same way I do. It's probably not great at times. All right. But look at how Christ, we're going to look at how Christ interacted with his disciples and how he had patience with them. But first off, it says, do we ever lose patience with people? People at work, uh, leaders, family members that are struggling with sin, etc. You know, sometimes we lose patience with people because we're like, holy cow, can't you just get what I'm saying? Can't you just understand what I'm saying and do what I've asked you to do? Or holy cow, can you just leave me alone? I, we, we lose patience so easily, but sometimes people don't understand our ways or do things that go against what we think is right. And see, Christ experienced moments with this, with the disciples. And I told here, it says, Christ walked with these men for a long time, for a great amount of distance. And these men witnessed his teaching. They witnessed his miracles. They witnessed his actions. And they weren't perfect in their understanding. See, I think that's what people think all the time here today is, man, if I could have just seen Christ doing these awesome works, if I could have just seen him heal people and, and all the stuff, then man, it'd be easy to believe back then. But these guys were with Christ 24-7 for a long time, and yet they still had struggle understanding. But see, Christ never got angry with their ignorance or disobedience. Luke 18, 
31 to 34 is a perfect example of this. It's Christ talking about his death for the third time. It took him three times, and they still didn't understand what he was talking about. And he says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Sounds pretty simple, right? Okay, you're going to die. We get it. But they understood none of these things. This saying, this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. See, that, that would be frustrating to me. That this was hidden from them, and they could not understand what Christ was saying. This is the third time he's told them, and they still don't get it. But see, the thing is, is Christ never lost patience with them. But see, my thing is, is we need to look at the patience that Christ had with us. The patience that Christ had with us. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Thank God for his patience for us. Imagine if God had the same amount of patience that we have for individuals in our lives. Imagine that. Imagine if God had the same patience with us that we had with other people. I'd have been zapped and gone a long time ago. But God understands the importance of waiting and tells us that we must be patient with him also. So how do we obtain this patience that God's talking about? Well, John Piper describes patience as this. He says, impatient people are weak and therefore dependent on external supports such as schedules that just go right and circumstances that support their fragile hearts. Their outbursts of oaths and threats and harsh criticisms of the culprits who cross their plans do not sound weak, but that noise is all a camouflage of weakness. Patience demands tremendous inner strength. If you go forward in Colossians, just a little bit up from where we're at right now, if you go a little bit farther, Paul is praying for strength in patience because that's what patience causes. Patience needs strength. If we don't have God's strength, then we can't have the patience that we need to do. See, he goes on to describe that patience comes from faith. It's a direct result of God in us. See, earlier on Colossians, like I said, Paul is praying for strength. And without God giving us the strength, we cannot have his patience. So, in closing today, what I have is couple questions. It says, how do we ever see the worth in other people? How do we ever get to this point where we can see worth and we can exhibit compassion, exhibit kindness, exhibit humility, and exhibit uh, patience? Well, the answer is easy. We must see them in the way that God sees us. When we do that, we can operate in the characteristics of God because God lives within us. When we truly want to love other people and see the potential worth in them, we must first see where our worth came from. And when we see where our worth came from, then we can see where worth comes in others. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So practical ways to obey this command. Pray with or for your fellow brother and sister. Seek their needs before your own. Have a hurting compassion for the lost. And be patient with people and never lose hope. I want to leave you with this final commandment today. And it's out of Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. See, he's telling us that we are to love other people. So we need to get back to that. We need to get back to seeing people through God's eyes and seeing the creator living within them and the creator that can live within them and exhibit these characteristics towards them. I've got a video I'm going to show as soon as I get done praying here. So I'll go ahead and just pray. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, we thank you so much for um, this message. Lord, we thank you for people. We thank you for um, how you created us. Lord, we thank you for the worth that you instill inside of us by allowing Christ to enter our hearts, Lord, so that when you look down, you don't see the sinner that, compl- that disobeys you day in and day out. But, Lord, you see the blood of Christ, and you see your Son, and you, and you love us all the more. Lord, I pray that we can have this compassionate heart, this, this compassion that hurts way down deep in our gut, Lord, that we have a compassion for the lost. We have a compassion for the lost, and we want to give, deliver the gospel to them. Lord, I pray that um, we, we can start to find this kindness that you, have, that you showed here on earth, and that, Lord, we can operate in that, and that we can start being kind to others, expecting nothing in return but having pure motives in, in showing kindness. And Lord, with this humility thing, it's, such, it's so hard in a world like that we live in today that tells you to look out for your own interests and do what you want. Don't worry about other people. Lord, I pray that we can start to change that mindset, not only in this church, in this community, but Lord, we can start to change it in the United States and we can change it in the world. Lord, that people need to look out for other people. And Lord, a, 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 a society looking to help others and build others up. Lord, that's a society that you have designed because it's people doing exactly what you do for us. And Lord, with this patience, Lord, we first off thank you that you have patience with us in those times where we struggle to understand uh, why why you do the things you do and when we sin. And Lord, if you wouldn't exhibit that patience, Lord, we would be gone and we would have no hope. But Lord, you give us patience. You give us time to understand your truths, to walk in your light. And Lord, I pray that we start to have that patience with other people, whether it's in an everyday workspace, whether it's in their walk with God. Lord, give us the strength that Paul prays for for the church in Colossians. Lord, that same strength we pray upon the church of Providence right now. Lord, that you give us patience so that we may have hope in you. Lord, I thank you so much for everything that you do for us, especially for sending your son down to die for us. We thank you, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.